I'm Asan, and this is the World Cup on the 9320 player. We're going to do today's pod in two parts. In part one, I'm talking to Sam Lee from St. Petersburg. And then in part two, Eric Laurie gives us the Swedish view on England's quarterfinal tomorrow. But yes, we're going to begin by chatting to Sam. Morning, Sam. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm very good. Excellent. Are you still in St. Petersburg? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Here Wonderful. until the third place playoff, which may or may not include England. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get to that very soon. Uh, listen, before we before we get into to England, uh, since I've got you, it would be remiss to not talk transfers. Uh, before we talk about the huge story of the week, which is the Ronaldo Real Madrid Juventus story, just from a City perspective, where are we up to with Jorginho and Mares? Do you feel that those deals are days away, or is there maybe a fly in the ointment somewhere? Well, I mean, they, they should be days away. They want it. They want them done by Sunday. Um, there's a big board meeting on Sunday, I believe. So, if it's not done by then, they'll probably want to find out why. But I mean, I think they're pretty. They're comfortable about it at the moment. You know, I always, I always laugh when I see the word "relaxed" used because I know exactly where it's come from inside City. Um, but the reason it's gone this far is because you know City are just trying to get the best deal possible, and they're sticking to their their plan you know they're not just going oh we'll just give an extra five million it doesn't matter which I know is what a lot of people kind of hope happens in transfer negotiations mm. um, but yeah um, Guardiola's back on Monday obviously the rest of the players are he wants he wants the players in by then so I mean there, there is potential for it to to all happen in the next 48 hours or so but I mean we've we've seen that a lot you know, with especially with Jorginho, but even with Morris at the start of the week when all the Midlands reporters were saying the deal was done. So, yeah, I mean, that, again, that's City's intention, but as as is always the case, you know, whether they actually get it done or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Is, the, is there a sense that uh, with these two transfers, because it's just these two guys and there isn't seemingly much else beyond that in terms of the business that City are going to do. Is there a sense that everybody's really relaxed about this? I think last summer was quite manic to, to kind of give it the contrast that I'm trying to give it. Yeah, well, last like summer last was summer. manic, yeah. yeah. There, was, there was loads of different pieces to fall into place and, you know, some would affect others. And obviously the Danny Alves knock-on was pretty big in not many respects. But yeah, this, this time it's just pretty straightforward, really. Okay. So you think the club are relaxed about them as well? Well, yeah, I reckon so because, it, you know, again, it's got to the stage with City where it's not, it's not always the case because obviously with Alexis it went um, it went differently in the end and United came in and the same thing actually happened with Fred. I was actually able to confirm the other day, you know, United just offered, United just came in and offered a bit more money and City weren't willing to match it and then they moved on to to Jorginho. So it wasn't it wasn't the other way around. It wasn't just they thought Jorginho was better. Um, so oh, wow. you know things, things can still happen but these are so far down the line um, you know Jorginho wants to come to City that's they, you know that's agreed Mahrez wants to come to City that's agreed so I mean obviously with what's happened with Danny Alves and Alexis and um, Laporte in the past they probably will you know they obviously know that there is potential for it to go wrong just in the same with any transfer but at the same time Leicester are willing to sell eventually for the right price. Napoli are willing to sell eventually. The players aren't looking anywhere else. The agents aren't looking anywhere else, as far as City know. So, yeah, I mean, that that is why it's kind of just a... You know, that's why they feel confident in being able to say, now we'll give you this and we'll do this instalment and this instalment. And we're not we're not just going to give them exactly what they want straight away, which is obviously what the fans want. But I'm sure they'll get in there in the end. And, yeah, like you yeah. say, it's... Yeah, there's two targets, basically. Um 
now, now you know, obviously they've they firmly established those two. There have been other options in the past, although not Kovacic or Lamino, I don't think, which we talked about. And yeah, they'll 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 get there eventually. I'm sure they will. Okay, um, I I kind of want to just go back and labour this point that you that you just made or this little piece of news that you just broke about the fact that City. So what you're saying really is that Fred was City's first choice, and United financially put together a package that City weren't prepared to match, and so they moved on to Jorginho. Yeah, that's what I was told yesterday. I was I was I always said this as well whenever people asked. Um, wasn't entirely sure one way or the other whether they just moved on and you know some some people inside City had said you know they just um, they just decided that you know there's more options basically mm-hmm. um, and you know they, they, they couldn't have got Jorginho in January but they could and you know and that that was plausible but I heard from a, I can't, I don't know, a more trustworthy source yesterday that and yeah from, from yeah from a kind of place who they probably would sugarcoat it if they could and just say, oh yeah, we didn't want him anymore. But yeah, just said, you know, United offered more money and we weren't willing to match it. Hmm. And I mean, I suppose that, that, that all tallies because obviously City would have done Mahrez and, and Fred in January if they could, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, the other big story, which isn't really City related, but I wanted to ask you about it just because it, Obviously, his has dominated uh, football Twitter over the last 48 hours from a transfer perspective. Is the Ronaldo to potentially to Juventus yeah. um, from from Madrid? Firstly, what what's the what's the general vibe amongst the press pack in out in Russia right now? Is the sense that this is really just a n or the negotiating ploy by Mendes in that he signs a new deal, or does this feel different? Well, yeah, this is a conversation we was having. Yesterday, and look, it's not the press pack. It's not, it's not the main guys who follow England because, quite frankly, most of them are knobheads. So I've not been speaking <laughs> to them. But the ones I have been speaking to, yeah, we 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 all kind of thought the same thing. We thought, is is this just another ploy to get a new contract? Maybe even they've used, you know, they've been able to get Juventus to say they want to buy him to to make it look even more concrete than it normally does, and you know, because they bought. Cancelo from Mendes recently I think so and they might get another player on the cheap from him or something so you always get these theories because it's got to the stage now where you just don't believe any Ronaldo transfer news um, but since then I mean this conversation was before that John Stones press conference yesterday up at England so um, since then obviously it does it does seem even more legit um, I'd, I'm still kind of in the camp of I'll believe it when I see it but it does it does seem legit doesn't it um Unless it's a uh, like one of the one of the biggest games ever pulled, well, it'd certainly be the biggest game ever pulled by Ronaldo to get a new contract if he ends up staying now, because it does seem legit. Mm. But I, I wouldn't be hugely surprised if he signed a new contract. But I mean, obviously, it does look like he's going to go to Juventus. Yeah. Now, just in terms of, uh, let's say for argument's sake that that de- deal does does happen, do you see there being big knock-on effects around Europe? Yeah, there'll have to be. Well, Madrid just can't let him go and not buy anyone else. Okay. Um, they'll have to make they'll have to make a statement. Um, I, I mean, I don't quite know where to stand on these denials about Neymar and, and Mbappe. Um, it's, it's a bit weird, but you'd think it would have to be one of those two. Um, Hazard's a great player, and if Hazard was to come to City, I think it'd be it'd be great. But I'm just thinking, if he goes to Madrid, them fans are in for a bit of a shock because you, you can't compare his numbers. 
to what Ronaldo puts in, you know, and his his sheer consistency over the last best part of ten years. I, I don't know. I don't know if they'd get that because you know he's a he's a great player, but Ronaldo is a, a monster, isn't he? So I'm kind of mm. thinking it would have to be a a big statement. And I mean, as we know, they they did want Mbappe last year, but to make that happen, they wanted to sell Bale to United to get enough money for it to happen. And obviously, in the end, he went to, to PSG and. Obviously, there's some... I mean, I'm not sure what the latest is with City and Mbappe. I've not heard since, since I've come to Russia. But obviously, there has been, at some point this year, a belief at City that they can get Mbappe. And there will presumably be that belief among Madrid as well. You know, if they think Mbappe is going to be available for whatever reason, they'll have been looking at it too. And especially if Ronaldo's going to go for, was it 100 million euros? Mm. And they'll have their they'll have a bit of extra money as well floating around I guess then I wouldn't be surprised if yeah if, if that was legit but yeah there they w- they will have to be knock-ons because Madrid just can't let Ronaldo go and not replace him you know they, they had a, a fairly big overhaul on, on their hands as it is you know they could do with a bit of refreshing in defence and midfield I suppose and up front um, but I, w- I wonder how that will actually go if, if they let Ronaldo go and just, just buy Mbappe you know it'll be a a signature signing but they've, they've got more work to do so yeah it will be interesting to see what they do and there'll definitely be a knock on and then the next question mm. is what does that mean for PSG does that mean that oh, it just seems weird that they go to so much trouble to get Neymar and Mbappe and then let either of them go it's weird isn't it I just don't see uh, I bet it'd be Neymar yeah I don't think them. I don't think that they'll get either of those players out of Paris this mm. summer I think that's too um the general sense in Paris is that anybody who thinks that the Qataris will sell Mbappe or Neymar this summer is deluded, regardless yeah. of what happens with UEFA and FFP and anything else, just on a point of principle, they're not going to sell either of those players this summer. Um, so the, the next question I was going to ask you was, because this is the other side of it that fascinates me, is from the Juventus perspective, obviously there is a lot of talk. If this deal goes through, the figures that are being mooted, Gab Marcotti wrote a piece the other day saying, well, if they're paying Ronaldo 30 million euros net a season, that's 40% of their wage bill. They can't afford to do that. So then my next question is, do you envisage a situation where suddenly maybe Dybala gets sold or Higuain gets sold to try and offload the one of the other big wages. Yeah, well, I saw a tweet about that the other day, but then you think, surely Ronaldo wants to go and he wants to, not not just wants to, but needs to play with these players as well, because, you know, he's he's not less effective, but he's, I don't know, less, I don't know, maybe less influential, but only because he's been so influential for so long. Now he's, mm. he, you know, he's always been ten out of ten influential. Maybe he's like eight now. So you know, you need, you know, he's had Bale at different times, and even Benzema. And you know, broadly, those are the characteristics of Dybala and Higuain. You know, you need those players to to help to help you out. So um, I don't know what would be in that for Ronaldo. You know, to he'd be the only. Well, yeah. Well, obviously, he'd be the only massive name because it's Ronaldo, but. It, it just seems like he wouldn't have any kind of help in, in attack. It, it just seems like obviously financially it would make sense, but otherwise I'm not sure. So yeah, I don't know how the finances work here. 
I don't know. It's kind of counterintuitive from Juventus's point of view as well, just in the sense that you feel like the idea is to build a team to win the Champions League. That's kind of why you go and buy Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, so to then start selling your top two or three players to finance that move, it doesn't really make sense to me. I, I guess that I've talking about it now, I feel more like if they're going to sign him, they're just going to sign. They're just going to sign him. They're not going to start selling Pjanic and, and Dybala to finance it because it doesn't really, you know. Oh, maybe, you... maybe Pjanic actually. Just because there was those links, there was those links saying City wanted him and I was like, well, that's not true. Um, and it was obvious that that would come from, I don't know, I don't know who, I don't know what was in it for anyone there. You'd think maybe the agent or maybe the club. And then he was yeah. with Barca as well. And I think Barca denied that or sources at Barca kind of said, you know, newspapers close to Barca said, that's not true. So I kind of thought, I wonder what's going on with Planet. I wonder who, I wonder who wants him out of Juve. So maybe, maybe him, but okay. Okay. Um, just quickly on, on City before we talk about the, the World Cup. Uh, Zinchenko on his way out? You think that's going to happen now? Yeah, um, as part of the Angus Gunn story. Yeah, we talked about it, didn't we? Um, yeah. The City had a few offers between 10 and 20 million. So when I saw that last night from Wolves, I thought, yeah. And then I spoke to somebody else and he went, that, that Zinchenko stuff's true, by the way. So, I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know who else is in the frame. But, you know, it wasn't just Wolves the last I heard, which was, I lost track of the days, but about a week ago. Um, but, yeah, like I said, there's, there's not many. There's not much space for him next season, um, if everyone's fit. So, 16 million is a decent price. And, he's you know, if he wants to play attacking midfield, he's never going to get that at City. So, yeah, yeah I think I, I, I read, actually, I read um, just kind of doing some digging around the Wolves side of it. Um, I get the feeling that, that I think it's Nuno, the... Uh, the Wolves coach that he sort of sees him as a left wing back as well. Okay. That, that he plays with three at the back and that he's signed, or at least the Wolves supporters and Wolves Twitter seems to feel like he's being signed to play at left wing back, which yeah. is interesting. So I always thought that he was, he would play further forward, but maybe, yeah, maybe that's how they see him. They're um, going to be fun to watch next year, Wolves. I'm looking forward to that. Definitely, definitely. I think when we do the um, when we do the, the proper previews for next season, Wolves are a club I suspect we'll talk quite a bit about because yeah. of their kind of ownership setup and the players that they're signing. They they do seem like they'll be at least on the pitch an exciting proposition. Um, okay, look, let's uh, let's talk briefly because I've not spoken to you since um, since England's uh, game on Tuesday. Um, I want to talk about two or three things from that game or that have come out of that game. Firstly, I, I mean, I've not watched the game back. I don't tend to watch in England game backs ever. Um, but all of this talk of, you know, it was the dirtiest game ever and Colombia were the dirtiest side ever. I mean, it was it was a pretty gnarly game, but on viewing, when I watched it on the night, they didn't feel any more dirty than any other South American side or any more niggly. Um, what's your take on that? Were they a difficult? Were they that on that level of difficult because of how snide they were? Uh, now I, d- I don't know. Um, I think Tunisia and Panama. I mean, Panama were even more brutal, weren't they? But I remember Tunisia and Panama being really bad as well. The difference was okay. The, uh, it was like it was last minute win against Tunisia, but. Uh, just maybe the fact it was so tense you know there was a foot of extra time there was a foot of elimination it, it just made it even more tetchy and, and tense like I say but I mean yeah it was 
you know, there was there was gamesmanship and play acting, but I think there was there was a bit of that on both sides. Um, uh, I, yeah, it was, like like you say, it wasn't it wasn't a dirty escape ever. It's just one of those things that happens. You know, we've seen it in the Champions League and Europa League, I suppose, and and, and same at the World Cup. Mm. Um, it was, it was yeah. a bitty game and that, but uh, yeah, it was it was nothing out of the ordinary. I don't think. Did you enjoy the game? No, it was because uh, I'm I'm really into it now. So I was just I did not enjoy it because it was a bad game. It was the opposite, really. Because uh, you know I've seen people say it was a terrible game. It, it, I was so tense and so nervous. You, do you ever get that where you don't? Yeah, you, you, you've no idea if it's a good game or not. I mean, I every remember every time we play Liverpool. Every time we play Liverpool, mate. Don't yeah, worry. I, and I remember the FA Cup final in 2007 when I was a bit more asked about United than I am now. Mm. Um, it was Drogba scored in in extra time against Chelsea, and everyone remembers it as being a terrible cup final. But I was just so nervous on the day. You d- you just you just don't realise how bad it is or not because. And, and look for all this. For all this, I say about I want to see good football, and that it's kind of got to the stage where it's like, no, I don't care how bad it is. I just want England to win. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't a great game, but what I liked about it was the fact that if you look at the pattern of the game, normally it's England who are doing what Colombia were. Normally, it's England digging in and defending, and the other team having all the ball and going, yeah, well, they didn't create much, we've done all right there. So what I actually liked was the fact that England, although they weren't creating a lot of chances, we were the ones dominating it, we were the ones trying to do something, which is not something I can remember happening for ages, certainly not in a knockout game, and certainly yeah. not against a decent team. So that's what I was impressed by. Um, and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant, on reflection, going by what other people are saying, but I was just too involved in it to, to notice, really. Mm. Um I want to talk very briefly just about Sterling's performance because there's been a, uh, I thought he was excellent and subsequently kind of reading up that there seems to be a real divide between those people who feel that ultimately he's not scored a goal and he's just not contributing enough and those who feel that he doesn't, he isn't getting enough credit for the work that he is doing. Um, so where do you stand on that based specifically on the Columbia performance? Um, I, I, I do think he's got a, you know, he's got a specific role in there to, because with Kane's movement and, and Kane coming in, coming in deep, you know, he, he does have that duty to, to go in behind and look for spaces and create more space for Kane. And it, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it kind of reminded me of not in the actual way he played, but the fallout to it, it kind of reminded me in the way that people speak about Gabriel Jesus when he doesn't score. Cause you'll get that from city fans. And you'll get it from neutrals as well. And now you're getting it from well, Liverpool fans because of the invested interest in Firmino. Um, and you, you get it from people watching Brazil. And you think, God, 90 minutes there, Jesus hasn't done much. And then you look at what people are saying. And, you know, I read, I read a piece in Globo, I think, last week before, before the Mexico game. Um, and there was a bit of a clamour, obviously, for Firmino to play. Cause, yeah, because Firmino had scored, I think. And... But like they were saying, all the all the Brazil players absolutely love Gabriel Jesus. They call him the phenomenon uh, because of the work he puts in, and you know they they just really appreciate that. And I mean, I'm not I'm not saying people don't know enough about football because it's it's well maybe I am, but maybe I'm including myself in that because sometimes <laughs> but sometimes we just don't notice these things. We don't you know we're looking we we're following the ball and we're following the stats. You know we want to, we well not want to see, but we kind of look we look out for assists and. 
and goals. And if they don't provide that, we kind of think, oh, they're not doing they're not doing their job. They're a forward, but clearly, um, the people who you know Guardiola always praises Jesus after the game. Titi's the same. His his teammates are the same. And I think I think it must be a similar thing for Sterling. He's got a, he's got a role in the team. Um, and more or less, he's doing it. I mean, he, he could be more effective, of course. He could be, you know, he, he could score goals. It's not one of those where he's, he's, in, the, he's in the team just, just to create space. You know, he, he could score goals. But, yeah, he's getting a bad rap from a lot of people. Mm. Um, but I think he has got a role. Um, with Ali being not entirely fit, I, I mean, there shouldn't be any question about dropping him. There's There's nobody else who could come in and kind of, do the same kind of thing. I know people would be asking for Rashford, but um, I'm not so sure about that. But I think the main difference was Sterling. I know this is going on a bit now, this answer. Um, but I, I was never really expecting him to have as quite as big an impact for England as he does for City because everyone looks at his performances for City and sees all the goals and you think, but that's because he fits in perfectly to that system. And you know, we know how City worked the ball into that left-hand channel to cut it back and invariably yeah. someone's, someone's there for the tap-in and Sterling understands that better than anyone. Yeah. Obviously, England play a completely different way. So Absolutely. You're not, you're not going to get that obvious output from him because mm. so many of the goals he scores are, are put on a plate for him in the best possible sense. You know, he, he knows where to be. You know, it, it's part of that system. England does play in a different way. And I think we, I think we know even with City, when he's, when he's got a chance to go through, you know, if he had a one-on-one, for example, he probably wouldn't back him. No, that's just that's just how, that's just how he is. So, I, I was always kind of expecting the kind of bit of a lack of output like this. But he is still such an intelligent player, and that, you know, there's more to him than just you know pace. You know, his movement's really good, and he is good in the middle. I remember the goal against Leicester away when he put that ball through. It was like it was like David Silva um, for the goal. I think Silva actually ended up scoring. So he can mm. do stuff like that. And I mean, but not, it's it's not like he's the only one not clicking. Lingard's been quite good isn't that uh, Lingard crucially is the only person who can link the midfield and the attack um, we had problems with night when Eric Deer came on and then Vardy came on there was just a massive gap in midfield and that's what fucked us really um, trying to wrestle the game back after the, the equaliser um, but yeah he's 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 got, a, he's got a role in the team and I think he, he's more or less doing it. Could be doing mm. a bit better but I don't think he's as bad as people make out. Yeah I know. Um, God that was long. That's all right. That's all right. It's always interesting to listen to your take on on things like this. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the game, England's game tomorrow. Um, we'll start with the focus on kind of reflecting back on the performance of John Stones and his importance oh, yeah. going going into the game tomorrow. Firstly, just very briefly, I said in the podcast after the Columbia game that I felt that. England played a lot more like City than I expected, purely in the sense that it felt like Henderson played a bit further forward and the responsibility was on Stones and Maguire to almost create their own build-up and get the ball up to the halfway line. Um, Did you see it like that? And do you see the similarity between City and England in the build-up? Um, and how do you think that's going to go against Sweden, who are slightly different than than Colombia and the threat that they pose? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's broadly similar in terms of the play out the back, but it's not it's not as fast. And to be honest, I would have liked to ask Stones this yesterday, but the press conference, Jesus, was dragging on for so long. And I had the last question in the open bit, 
And I thought, I can't ask him a long question about what it's like playing for City and what it's like playing for England. But, but anyway, um, I mean, it's broadly similar playing out from the back in terms of, you know, they want to get the, the centre-backs on the ball. I like the, the confidence as well. I think about 20 minutes into the game, um, they played out uh, between, you know, two forwards. Oh, bloody hell. But then I realised after they did it then, I was like, oh, they can actually do it. And then when they did it the next time, I was like, oh, it's fine. And then with about five or, what, ten, five minutes to go, I remember, I think it was Walker and Stones just knocking it between them at the back. And it wasn't like the aimless possession. It was kind of like arrogant possession, you know. It was like, look, we, you, you need to come and get this ball off us, lads. You're the ones chasing the game. And I was like, I've not seen that in England for a long time. So you could really see the kind of, particularly with those two, the, the City thing coming through. The, obviously, obviously, the fact there's a lot of Spurs players in the team as well, and they play kind, you know, kind of similar in terms of the, the positional sense of the players and and the, the passing and the speed of the play. So yeah, there's, there's definitely similarities there. As Sweden, I think the similarities kind of end with England in terms of the speed of the attack because it comes out of the back well enough, but I don't think they've got those same patterns, and obviously they haven't got the same quality of player because they haven't got somebody like. Silver or De Bruyne to give it to so yeah against the the really stubborn well organised unadventurous Sweden defence you know there's going to have to be a lot of a lot of probing got to move the ball a lot quicker I think you know this this role of Sterling to to create space and getting behind and, and stretch the defence is going to be really important because we're going to we're going to need um, we're going to need to create chances for Kane basically or, or we're going to we're going to need we're going to need good possession on the edge of the box um, to and a, and a bit of space to to get a shot off because it's it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very frustrating. I mean, obviously we could try and rely on another corner or a penalty, which is reasonably likely. But if if we're thinking if we're thinking about winning this, then yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna need to be a bit quicker in the in the in the attack. We're gonna get get the ball into the the feet of the forwards better and find find a few more spaces because I don't I don't think we've done that brilliantly well so far. Yeah. Um, do you think that in terms of finding those spaces and actually if we just talk very generally about England and, and their kind of struggle to create chances uh, or certainly from open play, um, do you see the Sweden game as a game in which it becomes an imperative that they do that or do you think it's another game similar to Colombia and similar to some of the group games in that as long as we can remain solid at the back, you almost back England over ninety minutes to nick a goal, whether it be from a corner or to win a penalty. Or you see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think we can stay in control of the game, which is not some, again, not, it's just it's not something you get from from England normally. I mean, fair enough. It owes to the quality of the opponents, and if we were playing one of the better teams, I'm not sure we'd, we'd be able to do it. I'm sure we'd try, which is important. But with it being actually Sweden, yeah, they will let us control it. We will want to control it, and we can control the game. You're right. We need to be solid at the back. Um, I mean, maybe. The, I mean, this is probably just the pessimism of a football fan speaking, but we can always see some kind of mistake in the in the back three and the keeper. I think they probably deserve a bit more credit than that after the other night. But like I say, it's probably the general pessimism. But barring that, barring that kind of calamity, yeah, you're right. We should just be able to control the game for 90 minutes and back ourselves to over the course of the 90 minutes get a goal. I mean, the sooner the better because if. If we need to drag Sweden out, well, sorry, if we can drag Sweden out, and they're they're chasing the game a bit after 15, 20 minutes, then the ball the better for us. But yeah, you're right. I think I think we can just kind of 
take our time and play our game and barring a catastrophe should, should honestly we should be hard right to beat Sweden I know they've got a good record I know they're good at the back but look Germany beat them they were yeah. so they were so unadventurous against Germany and it ended up costing them even though Germany had 10 men and I just think if we're patient and you know, we're not as savvy on the ball as Germany even this poor Germany side but if we're patient knock the ball around work the openings I'm sure eventually it'll tell hmm um, in terms of injuries, was there any sense in the press conference that there may have to be changes because of um, because of injuries? Not in the press conference. Um, I think as well as after you know after the game the other day they were saying, oh we have to see how Walker is, we we'll have to see how um, Kane is and Young. I think they're all fine. Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know about Ali in general because he didn't quite look at his best the other night. Um, but there's not been much talk about him. The only, the only one really is Vardy. Um, but I mean, I don't know how much his injury the other night contributed to him not doing a lot or whether he got the injury afterwards. But the, the problem with bringing on Vardy was he was he was all of a sudden in the wrong game. Um, we Basically, we needed to take him off again in extra time and bring Loftus-Cheek on to have some kind yeah. of link between the midfield and the forwards, which would have been a big call and maybe even Southgate didn't want to do that. Or maybe maybe, maybe it, was a, it would have been a wrong call, but that's that's how I saw it. Because we just had nothing, um, and to be honest, if uh, yeah, I don't know. Hope, I mean, hopefully we won't need Vardy. But hopefully we won't. We won't have to be that kind of desperate to need to bring on another forward to see out the game. And you know, if if it does come to that, we could use Rashford just to, you know, for for the pacing behind and a bit of trickery around Kane as well. You know, a bit more intricate than than just balls over the top of Vardy. So yeah, hope, hopefully, uh, I mean, it doesn't like he'll play, and hopefully he won't be needed. Yeah, I mean, I would love at some point in this World Cup to see uh, Kane, Rashford and Sterling on the pitch at the same time, but I do think that's unlikely unless, you know, something drastic happens. And Yeah, well, it just Ali maybe not playing, but you're right. It does seem like Loftus-Cheek is the kind of replacement for Ali and Rashford's yeah. the replacement for, for Sterling in, in the way they play. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, hey, listen, uh, very briefly, I just wanted your thoughts on the two uh, other quarterfinals um, today, Belgium and Brazil and Uruguay and France. We'll start with the Uruguay-France game. Mm. Um, there seems to be a little bit, uh, it seems to be a little bit opaque as to whether Cavani will be fit enough to start, but they s seem to be saying he certainly will be fit enough to start on the bench. How do you see Uruguay-France playing out? Who do you think the favourites are? And who would you like to go like to see go through? Um, I, I, I think Uruguay, uh, I mean, they're obviously not the favourites with the bookies, but I, I think they are with me. You know, France convinced a lot of people with the win against Argentina, but Argentina are a, a proper shambles. They, Argentina did everything that France needed. They gave them so much space. And France have not been that impressive at the World Cup other than that game. They've not been that impressive in the friendlies and Uruguay just aren't going to give them those spaces. I mean, look, maybe Mbappe is just going to go on a mad one now, but you know, he's obviously a quality player. But he was given the best conditions to shine against Argentina. I don't think he's going to get that against Uruguay. And look, kickoffs in about six or seven hours. So I could look stupid. In fact, less than that, Jesus. Um, so I could, look, I could look stupid, but I think Uruguay have got what it takes. Obviously, Cavani, if he doesn't play, it's going to be a bit of a blow because you, basically you've got the you've got the dual threat there. And when he went off the other day, it was just Suarez charging around by himself. But I, I, I think Uruguay can nick it. Um, certainly, certainly one 0 something like that. I wouldn't be surprised by even two one like Portugal game. Uh, and, mm. I, and I'd quite like I'd quite like to see Uruguay 
um, go through as well. So that's my thoughts on that one. Okay. Um, yeah, I would I would go along with that. I mean, I uh, I, I wasn't when you tip Uruguay ten days ago or something like that. I wasn't really sure why, um, but having watched them subsequently, I can kind of see why because they are, you know, they're so aggressive and they're so compact and they're so unbelievable on the break. And in Cavani and Suarez, they've just got absolute killers up top. It's just, yeah, I I fear for France today because I, I feel as though France are a very brittle side mentally. And I think that Uruguay can keep France out, even though France have such good attacking players. And if they nick a goal, France will get frustrated real quick. And I don't know if, you know, I think it'll be different than Argentina. Argentina were, were basically a shambles and still yeah. managed to score three goals uh, against France. I can see Uruguay not being a shambles at the back, not giving up really easy chances, but still managing to pierce that, that French rear guard. Mm. So, so, yeah, I kind of see that game similarly. What about Belgium-Brazil? How do you see that one unfolding and who's the favourite for you? I think I'll probably see it unfolding the same as pretty much everyone else. We want probably an open game, um, probably a few goals, and Brazil winning. Okay. I mean, just hope. Hopefully, it's as simple as that. I, I really do hope it's going to be a, a good game. I can't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Um, you know, Belgium have got that kind of maverick quality of being really good and really bad at the same time, and that that makes for a good game. Um, obviously, Brazil are no mugs. They're good defensively. Um, they've not had many spaces to to exploit this summer. But I think they're going to get a few against Belgium. So there, there's the potential for goals there. Uh, but I, I can't, I can't see anything else than Brazil winning. Okay, excellent. Um, right, Sam. I think that more or less covers everything that I that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, you have a lovely weekend in in Saint Petersburg, and uh, hopefully we will talk to you. Um, about England being in the semi-final of the World Cup oh, on, God. Uh, on Sunday of Monday. Uh, yeah, yeah just, probably Monday more likely if that's the case. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, look, either way, um, you have a, you have a fantastic uh, weekend and all the best and thanks again for doing this. Cheers, mate. Yeah, you have a good weekend too and yeah, speak to you in a bit. Welcome back. This is part two of the World Cup on the 9320 podcast. Uh, I am delighted in part two to be joined by Eric Laurie, who is a native Swede and also a City supporter. Hello, Eric. Hiya. How, How are you doing? You? I'm very good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine as well. Thank you. Excellent. A bit nervous about tomorrow, but apart from that, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fine. <laughs> well, we're, uh, we're also very nervous. Uh, but look, before we get to that, um, let everybody know, what's your, um, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, I'm Newell at MCFC. At Newell MCFC. Excellent. Yeah, in, in, yeah. How did you become a City supporter and when did you become a City supporter? I've more or less been a, a City supporter since the 80s. Uh, you know, most Scandinavian people do have an, an, an English team, and in a lot of cases, like in mine, only an English team. Uh, I'm, I'm from northern Sweden uh, originally, and we basically didn't have a, a local football team to, to follow when I was a kid. So every Saturday at uh, three o'clock for uh, three o'clock for you, four o'clock for us, there was uh, always a, an English game on the telly, and I honestly don't remember why I chose City. I, I, Perhaps uh, the color of the church or whatever, but ever since, and it's it's gradually grown uh, with the uh, 
possibility to watch in the, in the pub and uh, to, to stream and then also to pay-per-view and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, since 2005 or something like that, I've been uh, going over once or twice a year. And uh, I'm a, a member of a, a city forum, which I'm serially serial spam rat so <laughs> that's a big part of it as well for me excellent excellent um well look uh, we're gonna ask you to take off your city hat and put yeah. your sweden hat on for tomorrow's quarterfinal between england and sweden um firstly for those who maybe don't know give us a little bit of a background on this swedish team i guess the way that i would describe them would be the post zlatan era because obviously he is very, um, I guess he's the most high-profile Swedish player since Henrik Larsson. Would that be a fair thing to say? Uh, that would definitely be fair. And I would say that uh, he's probably more high-profile than, than Henrik Larsson ever was as well. Yeah. Uh, I was in, in the modern era, he's, he's definitely our biggest player. Okay. So yeah, so tell me a little bit about this post-Latin era. Uh, I would say that we've basically gone back to basic after after the Slatan era. Slatan uh, quit after the Euro 2016, and that coincided with with the Swedish manager also also resigning. Uh, that was a man, Eric uh, Hamren. You will have to excuse my pronunciation of Swedish names in English. It's very hard not to. <laughs> but uh, now Hamren was was a sort of manager who really wanted to play attractive football, and he more or less built the whole national team around Slatan. He made him captain and he, he was basically the focal point. And we played a lot of times a 4-3-3 and we had very mixed results. Uh, with Slatan deciding to, to quit after 2016, there was quite a lot of uh, sort of almost a desperation, like what's, what, what will happen now? Because we basically don't have any stars whatsoever. And what are we going to do? And we got this uh, sort of old school uh, Swedish manager who is uh, brought up with a 4-4-2 that we once learned from, from uh, English coaches coming over in the 70s to Sweden. And that's what we've gone back to, uh, a really tight-knit 4-4-2 where collect the collective is basically the, the most important part. Mm. And if you look at a team, it's it's a group of hardworking pros, but without any real stars. I would say Lindelöf in, in United and, and Forsberg, who plays for, for Leipzig, are probably the, the closest we, we have to, to any star players. Apart from that, you have like bit part players in, in France and Italy, a couple of, of uh, players in, in, in the Russian league, one from the ML, MLS, and then yeah, Berg, uh, one of our two strikers. He plays in the UAE. So it's, it's basically just uh, hard, work, hard workers and, and no flair. Okay. Um- in terms of the, I guess, the qualities that, that they, well, before we get there, how surprised are you at the fact that they've made it to the quarterfinals? Is that a big surprise? It, it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, personally, I really didn't think we would make it out of the group. I thought Mexico would be a, a really quite a lot stronger than they were. And obviously, the, the collapse of the Germans, I don't think anyone could have foreseen that. So I was very surprised that we went through. But once we did... We obviously just as, as England has been uh, been very lucky with the uh, with the draw, and I saw Switzerland coming up, and I thought, yeah, we do have a chance there. And to be honest, uh, we have England now, which is not really an impossible impossible task for us, I, th- I would say. So uh, I was very surprised, but as the, the tournament has progressed, and having 
seen how well we played, uh, I've, I've sort of come to terms with Come so to terms to with your success. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Now, just looking at tomorrow's game, firstly, what will Sweden's biggest strengths be? As I mentioned before, I think the collective is is really our biggest strength. Uh, okay. Everyone gives 100%. If you look at our two strikers, they're perhaps not the best footballers ever, but they really, really do a lot of hard work in, in the pressing game and in the defensive game as well. Uh, I also think we, we've gone back to a 4-4-2, which is quite a basic 4-4-2 with a simple tactics that we tweak a little little bit depending on opponents and uh, everyone just knows the tasks everyone knows what to do uh, and i think there's also quite a big confidence in the system and in, in what we're doing so we're basically prepared to to give all possession up and and uh, hit uh, other teams on the break and uh, the, the players are all right with that they're not afraid to to sit back and and let the opponents have the ball okay so, so i would say that that's our biggest uh, strength and in terms of a weakness that you feel England could potentially exploit? Uh, you, could I just go back to strengths? I sort of forgot. I would say the set pieces basically is also a, a big strength of Sweden. we got some really big lads in there. Gotcha. And uh, good, uh, good in the air. Uh, weaknesses? Uh, there are, there's quite, quite a list, to be honest. Uh, uh, I would say two things that, that might really... Uh, be difficult for us. It could be uh, fatigue, uh, both physically and and, uh, and mentally. Uh, physically, you had uh, the advantage of, of being able to play a second string basically against Belgium, whereas we more or less used the same eleven the the whole tournament so far. Yeah. Only due to suspension and, and late time uh, late time substitutions, uh, we have had a little bit of rotation. So that's quite a big big setback, I would say. The other one is is a mental sort of fatigue because we really had sort of four four cup finals so far. Every game has been a must-win game for Sweden, and it takes quite a lot, I would say. For uh, uh, and and the thing is, will we be able to recharge? Uh, the second thing could be it's also a mental thing, and that's uh, is the hunger still there, or are the players sort of feeling we we done more than, than anyone expected of us? Uh, so the thing is, yeah, we. we can they really, really put in one hundred and ten percent performance again, or are they a little bit happy with what they already accomplished? Mm. Uh, so, but no, no, go ahead. Go I was just going to ask you: Do you do you feel as though? How do you think they view England as opponents? Because I, I, I imagine that that will almost feed into whether they feel they've achieved enough or not already in this tournament. You see what I'm saying? That, that I guess what I'm trying to ask here is, do they look at England as a side where they go, well, we don't really have a chance, so we've already come as far as we can? Or is there enough um, inexperience in this Eng- English side where the Swedes could view it as, we're not done here because this England side are a side who we can be and we can progress to the semi-final? Mentally, yeah, but- what do you think is closer to the truth? I actually think the second. I think that they do feel quite confident. There's obviously quite a quite a big deal of respect towards the English team and their players. They're they're all stars more or less in the Premier League, and just look player to player, England are by far the better team. But still, you're not unbeatable, and we held our own against Germany for like 75 minutes or something like that. We were. 
by far the better team, I thought at least, against Mexico and against Switzerland. And also, if you just look historically, we, have, we actually have a really good record against England. So it, before the Columbia game, I, I, I really I, I would have bet my house on, on it being a draw and, and us kicking you out in the penalty shootouts. But uh, of course, you sort of got that uh, penalty shootout monkey off your, ba- <laughs> off your back now. So, uh, But uh, no, I, I really do think... Uh, that they are perhaps not confident, but they really, I do believe they, they feel there's a chance. Uh, tactically, though, I do think we'll see a, a, diff- a different setup than if, if you compare to the Switzerland game, Switzerland game uh, for instance, because we then play with, with quite a high press, uh, which worked great, to be honest. Uh, I would say that we have too much respect now, though, for the for the John Stones in particular, being a City fan, and, and uh, but also Maguire, uh, really competent on the ball, and and will uh, I think uh, be able to to pass the way out of a, a high Swedish press. So I do believe that we will we will uh, uh, set up our press much lower, perhaps even in, uh, on our own half, and uh, I also do believe that we. will keep on the same sort of compact defense and, and give up the the wings, more or less, which worries me a bit because uh, Kane is, is a really good uh, good player in the box and a, and a good header. Definitely, but I do think that it's something that Colombia did as well. I, I felt that they were also very compact and very narrow yeah. and were almost happy for England to, to put crosses into the box um, and we weren't particularly effective. I don't think that Ashley Young on the left offers enough width. I think Trippi has obviously got a great delivery on him and, and put yeah. some good good balls yeah. in. But we do tend to uh we do tend to focus a lot down the left and we don't necessarily have the uh the crosser of the ball if Ashley Young plays there. But then again if Danny Rose plays in that position, then that's a slightly different scenario because I think that Danny will offer if, more width. If I if I were Southgate I would definitely play Rose. Yeah. Uh, I know it's a he, he probably won't, but uh, the Swedish uh, right back uh, Lustig, uh, who plays for Celtic, he's uh, suspended for this game. So we're going to play uh, a guy Croft, uh, who plays for Bologna in Italy, but uh, he only have I think four or five uh, competitive uh, games for for Sweden. So it, it's really inexperienced defender there. Yeah, uh, I, and that's definitely something I would exploit if I, if I were the England manager. Okay, excellent. Um, and just finally, how do you see the game pl- panning out tomorrow? Uh, as I said, I do think that we will sit back, uh, but I, th- I also think we will play quite a lot like we did against Germany, where we had a low but very intense press. And I think that we, what we would try to do is, is put a lot of pressure on Henderson in particular, uh, because to be honest, he's, he's not the greatest player uh, with the ball and, and under pressure he tend to, to play it backwards or sideways and I also think he, he might be prone to a mistake uh, so that's what I think we will do uh, if you look at the German Germany game uh, Tony Cruz actually uh, struggled with the press that, that our striker put on him yeah. put on him and it led to quite a few mistakes so I mean if, if a player of his caliber struggles uh, the bet is that Henderson's will, Henderson will as well uh, and I also think that we will be very quite happy to sit back because you sort of lack that that uh, creativeness in midfield. Someone to to actually provide uh, provide good balls to to the runners you have in in uh, in Sterling and in in Lingard. Excellent. So yeah, it, it would it would basically be a City against Burnley game, or 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 if you look at. Uh, 
a game you, you English fans probably want to forget, uh, England against Iceland in, in the last Euros. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I hope that England are, are better prepared mentally, physically, tactically, technically. than. They- uh, I'm, I'm certain you are. I mean, you do really have a, a new generational thing going on. You, you change the system, you, your players just... It's a totally different culture, I think, in the England, England setup at the moment. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hey, listen, Eric, thank you very much for, uh, for, for taking the time to, uh, to chat to us today. Oh, you're uh, welcome. It was, it was my pleasure, really. Uh, we'll try and get you on a, uh, on a, on a city-related 1920 <laughs> podcast over the summer and next season as well. Uh, to be honest, I do actually know a lot more about City than I do know about the Swedish national team. Excellent. <laughs> well, then we'll definitely, definitely get you on. Uh, look, to everybody who listened, uh, thank you very much. This has been the World Cup on the 9320 player although we are this episode is available on soundcloud if you've not got a membership to 9320 player just go over to our website 9320.com or head over to the twitter page and you can check out details of how to sign up to get tons more podcasts just like this one both over the summer and going into next season as well in the meantime we'll be back next week uh looking back at england's quarterfinal against sweden plus the other quarterfinals thanks for listening and up the blues